Good morning. It's so great to be back here, and thanks so much for having me this morning, and uh, thanks so much for our prayers and support for these years as we serve together, as Jerry said, in Senegal and Quebec, now heading to uh, France. But uh, also, thanks so much for sending a team when I was, we were in Senegal, uh, Quebec. I still remember the uh, your, uh, two bands came with the youth team, and it uh, was a great time to show you around, show them around the uh, Quebec City and uh, worship service and everything. So I have a strong attachment to this church. So I appreciate your prayers. And uh, I still remember the early days of this church, and uh, you guys were meeting at the uh, high school building, if I remember correctly. And uh, just uh, long years of partnership, just uh, praise the Lord. And um, for those who don't know me, my name is Satoshi and Kawachi. And uh, as Jerry said, uh, my wife's uh, mother is Canadian, so we have relatives in Canada. They always call me Kawasaki. So, but anyway, so those, uh, so you are not alone. But uh, anyway, my first name is Satoshi, and it's, a, it's not easy, you know, for Americans to pronounce my name. But uh, several weeks ago, I was invited to preach at the church in North Carolina, and somebody came up to me and they uh, are you the uh, founder of Bitcoins? Like, uh, actually, it's the same name, <laughs> Satoshi. So now it's a little easier for me to introduce myself. But uh, and uh, my wife, uh, beautiful wife, Kelly, and uh, she's, uh, she wanted to come with me today. But however, uh, we have a twin daughters, Susanna and Sophia. They were now at JMU, James Madison, so amazingly. We are empty nesters. That's wonderful and very calm. And even though we have a cat, she's surprised how calm our house it is now. But anyway, and unfortunately, summertime, they are back in town. So the, uh, the Sophie has to work this afternoon. So three of them going to a different church in Northern Virginia. So they couldn't make it. And uh, as Jerry said, I was born and raised in Japan. So the... Uh, yeah, my English was getting better and better, and my wife and the two daughters helping me correcting my English. But uh, unfortunately, this morning, you're going to hear have a difficult time following my English because the, uh, I've been pre- speaking in French all these years. And then, anyway, so you might hear some French accent. That's a weird thing. But uh, se- several years ago, um, I was asked to preach. I was in Japan preaching in Japanese. And then after I preach, and there's a one, one congregation, there's a one lady who's married to a French man for many years, and she happened to be back in Japan. And she came up to me, and then she said to me, hey, Satoshi, your Japanese sounds funny. And, and she said, you sound like a Frenchman learning Japanese. So, so anyway, so this morning is a little intriguing for all of you maybe, but uh, bear with me. And, uh, and uh, anyway, so we have a privilege to worship the Lord together. So here's the, today's passage. It's Matthew chapter 9, verses 35-38. Matthew chapter 9, 35-38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep with a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly, 
to the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for this time to worship you. Thanks so much for being here. And thanks so much for the word, of God's word. And uh, that transforms us, that corrects us, that leads us. And thanks so much for this time together again. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. William Carey was a well-known British missionary to India in the 18th century. He is commonly called as the father of modern missions. Since then, for more than 200 years, so many dedicated men and women have been involved in missions. As a result, a great number of studies on missions have been conducted and they have contributed to the advancement of his kingdom around the world. For example, we analyze the demographics and their cultures by using some buzzwords such as unreached people group and the shame, honor, culture, or paradigm. We also analyze the progress and the type of approach of missionary work with words like contextualization. We praise the Lord for these tools for missions, since they are very useful for all kinds of mission work. However, this morning, let's simply focus on Jesus' own teachings on missions. We'd like to learn what the basics of missions are. In fact, the passage that we just read teaches three principles of missions. Number one, be there to empathize and feel the pain. Be there to empathize and feel the pain. Number two, open your eyes to see the spiritual reality. Open your eyes to see the spiritual reality. And finally, number three, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers to the field. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers to the field. These are the three basic principles of missions according to Jesus. Let's begin with the first point, be there to feel the pain. As a missionary, we have contacted dozens of churches in the U.S. to see if we can develop a missions partnership. One of the trends these days among the big churches in the U.S. is that they simply send money directly to indigenous church leaders on the mission field instead of sending American missionaries. They say, why bother sending American missionaries who will have to learn the culture and the languages for years in order to function as a worker in that country? They continue, since those indigenous, pa indigenous pastors already know the culture and the language, it may be more cost-effective. However, however, the way the Father and the Son, Jesus, conducted missions was a bit different. Let's read Matthew 9, verses, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Notice here that Jesus was sent from the Father. He physically went through dozens of cities and villages, actually interacting with countless real people on the earth. 
As a result, Jesus felt their pain, which was real, as we read in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without shepherd. Without being among real people, you will never be able to feel their pain. That's why Jesus had compassion for them. Here the Greek verb, have compassion, have compassion for, is used. It expresses the burning sensation of the inner being of someone who is so moved and compassionate as he realized the extreme misery of another person. The same verb is also used in the case of the father of a prodigal son in Luke 15, where he saw his son completely malnourished and exhausted. It is also used in the case of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, who saw Jewish men completely beaten almost to the point of death by robbers. Over the last several years, we hear a lot about refugees' miseries from countries like Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. It is sad for the fact that sometimes, sometimes without ever being at, the, at their borders and seeing their hardship, political debates might continue in various ivory towers like the EU headquarters in Brussels and at the UN headquarters in New York City. However, on September 2nd, 2015, the body of a three-year-old Syrian refugee was washed up on the Turkish beach, and the images shook the world. Many people felt compassion for the poor refugees and even anger against the inability that the international community was facing. Yet, some may say that it might have changed the course of the discussion on this issue as Germany began welcoming more refugees temporarily from that time on. Do you feel compassion for the lost who are heading to eternal damnation without knowing Jesus? Do you feel the same pain for your neighbors who don't know Jesus as you felt for those refugees who had no choice but fled over the Adrian Sea with a dangerous rubber boat, including the poor boy who drowned and his family? If we don't feel pain for those spiritually lost, such numbness is one of the biggest obstacles for missions according to Jesus. When I mentioned, when I mentioned about our efforts to reach out to Muslims and ch at churches, I sometimes hear someone commenting, well, they were our enemies. They are coming. They are overtaking American and European civilization. I understand it's difficult, but is this showing true compassion for those people's eternal destination? In fact, without knowing Jesus, I grew up as a Buddhist worshiping idols made of wooden idol with wooden iron in Japan. Moreover, I was an animist worshiping all kinds of spiritual beings. Yet, I myself 
Yes, I myself was an enemy of God without knowing Jesus, just heading to eternal damnation, as we read in Ephesians 2, 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I was brainwashed and blinded, as we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But Jesus had pity on me and sent missionaries and Japanese Christians to me, as we read 1 Timothy 1, 15, 16. Here's a, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That's why when I am with Muslims and get to know them, I feel compassion for them. That's why when, when we follow Jesus', Jesus teaching on missions, we need to be among the people to whom we minister to feel their pain, their struggles, and the pain that they don't even recognize. That's why when we do missions according to Jesus, we, according to Jesus, we need to send missionaries so that they can share the compassion with the churches in the U.S. for the people that they serve. Secondly, let's take a look at the second basic principle of according to Jesus, which is open your eyes to see the actual spiritual reality. Open your eyes to see the actual spiritual reality. Let's read verse 37. When he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Notice here that Jesus talks about spiritual reality in terms of missions that we don't easily see. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with your friends, co-workers, or family members? Do you remember what their responses were? In many cases, they might be they might have tried to be polite by answering, thank you for sharing, I'll think about it. At the same time, you might have picked up a bit of uneasiness in their reactions. You might have seen their rolling eyes, which says in effect, what a weird guy you are. Let's be honest. We might even be able to say that the more we try to share the gospel with others, the more discouraged we became. We might be tempted to say to Jesus, no way, Jesus. I don't see that the harvest is plentiful. What about sharing the gospel with Muslims? Many people would say that it's an impossible task. Some might even say they are brainwashed and they were blinded. It is impossible to have a logical conversation with Muslims. Well... Let's step back a bit. As I said, for myself, growing up in a mixed religious background between 
of Buddhism and animism, it is still a miracle that I came to know Jesus. Regardless of someone's religious background, the conversion itself is a miraculous act, as we read in Luke 15, 7 and 10. In Mark 10, 27, being asked how one can be saved, Jesus even says it is impossible for man but God. This spiritual reality is one of the things that we need to start seeing with our eyes open when we are involved in missions. It's not ultimately us who convinces the people to whom we minister, but God himself. Let's read, about, let's read what the Bible says about this reality in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If we see things from this perspective, everything changes in terms of missions. Now, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. This means that he's going to bring plenty of people into his kingdom by giving them a saving faith, and they will worship him as their king, declaring Jesus is Lord, the Lord. In other words, Jesus is saying that he is ready to do this. That's why on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured onto 3,000 people and they started worshiping him as their Lord and King. In fact, the conversion of 3,000 people is a foretaste of an amazing harvest which is to come. When Jesus, said the, when Jesus says the harvest is uh, workers of few, in verse 37, it could mean a sad and pessimistic reality that no one is interested in serving for the harvest of the kingdom. However, the emphasis is placed more on the extraordinary outcome of his mission work. In order to accomplish his extraordinary plan, Jesus says we need more workers because it's happening now. Remember, it's not us but God who saves people. That's why the Father God is called as the Lord of the harvest. And now he himself says the harvest is plentiful and he's ready to bring plenty of people to Jesus' kingdom by giving them a saving faith. It's going to be an amazing outpouring of the Spirit and a vast number of people will come to know Jesus as their Lord and King through the course of history and around the world. Do you believe this? You should. It's guaranteed since Jesus says so. Do you notice this spiritual reality? Yes, it's actually happening around the world and through the centuries. According to a Pew Research Center survey, there were 2.19 billion Christians around the world in 2010. That's one-third of the world population. Furthermore, according to Bruce Milin, quote, from 1960 to 2010, the global growth of the number of reported evangelical Protestants grew three times the world population rate and two times that of Islam, unquote. Now you see how true Jesus was. Thanks to this spiritual reality, 
regardless of the various reactions that we might get, will be convinced that it's worth continuing sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone we meet or interact with, including Muslims. Thanks to this spiritual reality, we'll be convinced that it's worth sending missionaries. So let's open our eyes to recognize this spiritual reality. Finally, let's take a look at the third principle of missions according to Jesus. It is to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his harvest, as we read, as we read in verse 38. Up to this point, we learned about the necessity of being there to feel real people's pain and of opening our eyes to see the spiritual reality. But these are the prerequisite for the most important task that the Lord has assigned to us, that is, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send more workers for the harvest. Here the verb pray is imperative. That means that we need to give highest priority and sense of urgency to this most important task when, we come, when it comes to missions. Do you believe that the Lord answers our prayers? Sometimes we tend to feel that no one is listening to our prayers. Sometimes we probably would admit that our prayers tend to be repetitive and we lose a good grip of what we're praying for by wandering off in all kinds of directions. Is it still worth praying? Why is prayer the most important task for missions according to Jesus? The answer to the first question is a resounding yes, yes, yes. It's because our Lord, our God, is the Lord of the harvest who can plan and coordinate all things to bring plenty of people into his kingdom by giving them a saving faith. It's because our God is the Lord of the harvest who can send his workers all over the world and provide them with all their needs for the advancement of his kingdom. As a missionary, I've contacted countless churches in the U.S. When I introduced myself to their pastors and uh, missions committee uh, chairpersons, most of the time, I can sense a sort of uneasiness of their, in their faces. It's because I imagine that many of them are thinking that I'm there asking for money. It's unfortunate that sometimes they don't even want to begin a dialogue with itinerating missionaries. We have made so many phone calls which were never returned. We have sent so many emails which were never replied to. Needless to say, there are some exceptions, and there are some churches who are very welcoming and willing to listen to our stories with excitement and pray for us afterwards in spite of the fact that they wouldn't be able to support us financially. A few churches even invited us to their missions conferences, although they told us upfront that they won't support us. Yet, as we visit conferences and those missions conferences, thanks to those divine appointments, we met several prayer partners. Thanks to their prayers, 
the Lord eventually provided us with all our needs, which allowed us to first move to Quebec for language training 2003, and West Africa to start a seminary in 2004, again to Quebec for, uh, to lead a church replant, church plant in 2011. Yes, the Lord of the Harvest answered their prayers again and again. You see, those prayers prayed by pastors and missions leaders who said their churches wouldn't be able to support us financially have not ended in vain. Instead, their prayers were indeed heard again and then again in a mighty way. Let me also explain how prayer works in missions in, on the mission field. When I first came to know the Lord in 19, 1982, I was amazed again and again by the sacrifices that many of my American missionary friends made in order to reach out to us Japanese. As we saw them struggling in learning Japanese language and its multifaceted cultures, yet still willing to share the good news of Jesus, our hearts were softened and moved by their tremendous and sincere efforts. Almost all the American missionaries I knew were well-loved. The impact that their humble and simple lifestyle made was so powerful that many of our friends became believers over time. So, so, many, so many of their efforts are always successful. And I always thought that the secret of their success in missions was their humble and disciplined work of faith. However, after my wife and I became missionaries and started raising missions partners in the U.S., I came to realize that I was wrong. As I mentioned briefly, we don't visit churches for money. We visit churches to share our vision with their congregation and raise up prayer partners. Now, I'm fully convinced that the secret of the success in missions of my American missionary friends was prayer. I never realized that when one missionary family was sent to Japan, so many prayers were also coming with, their, with that family. The humble and disciplined missionary families I knew were simply a representative and fruit of the tons of prayers coming from the churches in the U.S. To further unpack this profound notion of how prayer work, prayers work in missions, let me also share how I rediscovered again and again the fact that I was prayerful. As many of you know that I preached in French every Sunday morning for four years in Quebec. Although I profoundly enjoyed preaching in French. To be sure, since it's a daunting task, sometimes just before I got up to the pulpit, there was a moment of hesitation, of doubt and fear. Yet, I started hearing the theme music of Rocky and sensing someone pushing me from behind. As you know what? And you know what? The rest is history. Uh, somehow, God blessed my preaching ministry there for four years. 
Amazingly, the folks kept coming back week after week, and the young couples even brought their new friends. You see, this is how prayers work in missions. This is how prayers, this is how your prayers to the Lord of Harvest allow him to send more missionary to the mission fields all around the globe. Thanks to your prayers, the Lord provides missionaries with all their needs to go to their respective mission fields. Thanks to your prayers, the impact of the lives of the missionaries on the local people are powerful and effective. Thanks to your prayers, the Lord will pour his spirit upon plenty of people so that they will be convicted, convinced, and brought into his kingdom by receiving a saving faith in Jesus. Therefore, in conclusion, our brothers and sisters, the Lord of the harvest says that he is ready to bring an explosive number of people from all kinds of religious backgrounds into his kingdom by giving them a saving faith in Jesus. Let's pray that he will send more workers to keep up this amazing harvest. Let's go together this amazing journey of prayers and missions. I have no doubt it's going to be an extraordinary experience. For all of us, let's pray. Father Heaven, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Our heart is still burning as it was a case of two, your two disciples when the risen Lord Jesus spoke to them on the road of Emmaus. What an amazing thought that you have already harvested and again ready to bring an extraordinary number of people around the world into your kingdom by giving them a saving faith. Please help us to be there with compassion and empathy in feeling their pain and how much they need your salvation. Please open our eyes to see how much you are ready to harvest a great number of people. Please help us continually to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, that you send more workers to the harvest. In Jesus' name we pray.